It's a real privilege to be able to host this wellbeing webinar and it's a real privilege to do it alongside two people that I consider to be really good friends of mine, as well as Steve. You know, I know I spend a lot of time with him, um, but Liz and Stu are good friends that I met about four years ago when I relocated down to Devon. And at that time, I would say that I probably experienced quite a lot of anxiety. I didn't always manage that particularly well. And at that time, I was put into a new leadership post in a school in Torquay and I met uh, Liz and Stu. Stu predominantly at that stage was my kind of leadership coach that my head teacher brought in to work with me and I'd had some coaching before but what was really different about the work they seemed to do was it it was very much focused on my well-being and not so much on trying to solve all my problems which was uh, a bit of a new take on the kind of leadership coaching. They were really interested in, in well-being and they seemed to be exploring well-being from a very different angle than I'd heard people talking about it before. And the effect for me personally has been really transformative over the last few years and has benefited me so much in my work that really any chance I get to share that with with friends, colleagues, I try to now. And Steve is is still based in Kent. So we've talked about this via our kind of our podcast and whatnot. But it's just really nice to sort of open up the chance to share some of this work with some colleagues. It's all free because we just want to try and help others, particularly at this really tricky time when we're all essentially struggling quite a bit at the moment. So I suppose what we're going to be talking about tonight kind of revolves around what we might call a kind of an inside out understanding of well-being and it will hopefully just give you some headspace really to reflect on your own thoughts about what well-being is and how it works but welcome to the webinar and thank you for being here and I'm going to hand over to Liz and Stu to say a bit more. Hello, it's a, it's a real delight to, uh, to be here and um, Stu is going to just tell you a little bit about some of our work and then I was going to give you a little bit of an overview of the, the kind of the, the, some of the ideas we want to share on the webinar this evening. Yes hello good evening everyone so our background very briefly is that um, Liz used to work for the BBC as a reporter and um, I had a career in the police, Devon Cornwall Police um, I was uh, involved in senior leadership in the police before I left there a long time ago. And then we both went into coaching. And about five, six years ago, we came across something that Russell's referred to as the inside out understanding, uh, which is really looking at uh, others as human beings from the perspective of our well being, which Liz will touch on shortly. And, and that really changed everything for us. And so, um, whereas before the work that we did was very much centered around vision statements, goals, techniques, tools and techniques, we, we shifted and we've shifted quite radically to this understanding, which we'll, you're here to learn much more about tonight. That has made a huge difference. and. Uh, You've heard Russell already say what, what impact it's had on him. You, I know he's going to say a bit more about that. Um, our work mainly has been in education, not solely. We've worked with um, lots of people from public services, from the police, from local authority. But um, in, in the last uh, 10 years, it's been mainly in education. So working with head teachers, with leadership teams, in, in fact, right the way through schools. Uh, uh, including uh, teaching assistants 
and also some projects with young people. So we, we've got a, a good background, which we hope that we'll, you'll find useful uh, tonight. And if we decide to go on together, that this may be of, of great use to you. So Liz. Great. So what is this different take then on well-being that uh, Russell was talking about? We're going to give you a, a real little taster of that this evening. So I, I actually trained as a counsellor um, 20 years ago and then trained as a coach 15 years ago. And, and as she was saying, I also had a career in the police. And this quote really resonates with me nowadays because... Before I came across what uh, we call the inside-out understanding, I had a very different idea about how we um, got to well-being in our lives. And Chantelle Burns um, is an author, and one of the things that she says, which really hit home for me when I read this just a few weeks ago, is the biggest problem we're up against as human beings is the gap between how we think life works and how it really works. The biggest problem we're up against as human beings is the gap between how we think life works and how it really works. And what we mean by that is, in very simplistic terms, I used to think, and my work as a coach and as a counsellor was very much geared towards this, I used to think that well-being and resilience were things that we had to somehow get to or find. I thought that resilience was something we needed to build. And I thought that we achieved well-being um, as a result often of uh, doing something, achieving something, getting a goal, being successful, you fill in the gap. And then I began to realize over the last sort of eight years that actually well-being is very different. It's not something that we get to. It's not an outcome of something. It's actually uh, the core of who we are. And what's happened as a human race is that we've got so busy in our thinking, scrabbling around trying to find well-being anywhere other than within ourselves, that this can be a very exhausting, mentally exhausting process. And I just want to show you this because um, this is actually our dog. He's called Buzz. And there's something every day that uh, we go through with Buzz that kind of I guess sort of illustrates what we mean by the way that we can get very revved up in our thinking and mentally exhausted as a result. Now, Buzz, he, when I'm working from home, he is asleep in the office beside me. And without fail, um, every day when the postman comes, he will leap up from his bed, he will run to the door barking madly, and he'll bark and bark and bark and bark until the postman's posted the letters and and gone back to his post van. And then Buzz will shake himself off and, and then kind of pick up the post and then come back to um, his bed. And he does this every day. And, I, and I was, I've been baffled by this for such a long time because I think, well, why does he do that? The postman never comes in. You know, it's, it's, why does he get so excited? He knows the postman never comes in. He doesn't need to go through this whole rigmarole of, barking and energetically defending the house when nothing ever happens, what's going on? And I happened to actually mention this to a friend of mine who's a pet behaviorist. And she said, ah, well, the thing is this, she said, he thinks in his world that the reason 
and the postman never comes in the house is because he goes through this incredible routine of barking and energetically guarding the household. And he thinks that if he weren't to do that, then the postman might come in the house. So this was kind of like a really good, like, oh my goodness, that makes sense now. He, he misunderstands how things work, which is a little bit like that quote that Chantal Burns gave us there, which is, we've got a misunderstanding about how life works. And what tends to happen is a lot of people get a, spend a lot of mental energy, anxiety, and worry on things that are never going to happen or they spend a lot of anxiety and worry and mental energy on things that are in the past. And actually, um, the work that we're really interested in at the moment is helping people see that you don't need to spend so much time and anxiety and worry on those kinds of things because they are all in your head. So that, in essence, is, is what I wanted just to summarize here, is that well-being is something that is actually within us. It's not something you have to chase. And what gets in the, well, in the way of well-being is that inadvertently often what happens is that we get caught up in our minds, spinning the wheels of our minds unnecessarily on things that we don't need to. So, Russell, I'm going to hand back to you now. I like that. I've not met your dog before. Much of a amount, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, um, this is an introduction tonight to um, some things around the inside out approach and or the inside out understanding rather. And it's hard to kind of condense it all into a short time. But my reflections really, I wanted to share kind of three things that I've come to really not just believe, but just know to be true about well-being and the way we work. And um, to you, you might sit there thinking well, there's nothing overly uh, surprising about any of those things. But through really understanding those things has been what's um, made a big difference in my life. So I'm just going to take you through what those are and then um, have some reflections on how that's linked to my world as a depthy head, really. Um, so the first thing that I feel like I really do understand now as a result of, of working with um, you and Liz is that the way I experience the world is from the inside out and not from the outside in. Now, what I mean by that is that I know now that my experience of what goes on around me is self-generated. We kind of all know that and we see that in the fact that all of us can be in the same situation or in the same place and feel like we've had a completely different experience of something in front of us. So you might have two people go off to a pop concert and in one person's experience, it was the best thing they've ever seen in their life. And in someone else's mind, it was rubbish, it was useless. But really understanding that has really changed things for me because once I know that my experience of the world is kind of self-generated, I'm seeing it through the lens of my thinking in any moment. I kind of know not to always trust my thinking. So in particular, um, anxious thinking, which probably been guilty of having a lot of in the past. In the past, I might have really indulged that anxious thinking and really believed it to be true where I'm a bit more bit more inclined not to trust what I'm thinking particularly when it's kind of insecure the first thing is is I really understand that I experience the world um, in one way and that's from the inside out the second thing that was an absolute game changer Stu was coaching me one day about three years ago and I was talking about those days you have sometimes where you just feel like 
you feel really on fire like things are going really well and you're just in the flow and you're not overthinking anything and they're just there's like an ease of kind of life and you just feel like you know what to do and Stu turned around to me and he said you realize that's your default don't you I was kind of like what what do you mean by that and he was making the point that we often think that when we're in well-being, we've kind of struck gold for the day and we're lucky we just had a good night's sleep or we ate the right breakfast or, you know, we thought a bit more positively. And he kind of challenged me to think that that was me at my default. And what gets in the way of me experiencing that more often is, surprise, surprise, my thinking. And you might be sitting there thinking, yeah, I, I kind of I know that my thinking gets in the way, but I don't know how to get rid of it. And that was kind of my first reaction at this point. I was like, oh, I need to chase away these anxious feelings then and these anxious thoughts that I get in my head. But kind of what I learned to do was be a lot kinder to myself and accept that feelings and thoughts just come and go. They're kind of like clouds over the sun. They just pass by. And when I, what I do know about um, thoughts is they're hungry. And when I pay lots of attention to them or feed them, they, they, they get bigger. So I've learned to be uh, more distrustful of, Kind of insecure thoughts i know that well-being is my default i quite like the if you've ever seen weevils weevils wobble but they don't fall down it's like i feel like we as humans have a tendency to just we come back up to our kind of we recenter ourselves naturally and every time we're having an anxious moment and we're wobbling we believe we're never going to come out of it but we've all kind of got a hundred percent um track record haven't we of coming back up again and and surviving and being okay and that's because well-being is our default we're naturally resilient more so than we give ourselves credit for that's kind of the second big thing that really hit me and kind of changed me I suppose um, the third thing that I wanted to share about this inside out understanding that's been quite transformative for me and it sounds really daft because it's so simple but is the idea that at my core I'm always okay so in the past I might have thought that my moods or my feelings in any given moment were a reflection on kind of how I'm doing as a human being and if I was feeling anxious or down or having depressive thinking that there was something wrong with me like I was somehow broken and again Stu and Liz talking to me about this has really changed my thinking that I don't now see in myself or in anybody else particularly the children I work with that when someone's down or they're struggling that there's something wrong that needs to be fixed I just see that they're, they're being that weeble, they're just wobbling and they will naturally come back to, to, to kind of their natural default setting, which is well-being. So I know now that there's a kind of a bit of me that is kind of solid, rock solid, whatever emotions I'm experiencing day to day, moment to moment. And I know I'll naturally come back to that. So those three things that I've talked about, they're all kind of overlap. They all come back to the same basic um, kind of principles about how I think now I work and you work and the children you work with kind of operate. Um, but for me, they've been quite transformative in, uh, in my life, really. Liz and Stu, uh, I don't know whether there's anything you wanted to... Yeah, I tell you what, I love that, Russell, because there's an, um, it reminds me as well, there's, this, there's this, this great image, isn't there, that we, you know, mm. we were looking at um, earlier, which kind of represents a little bit, I think, about what you're talking about when it comes to thought and feelings and well-being. So just take us through this. Well, what you've got there is uh, we're very lucky. Uh, some of us on this video call are based down in the southwest by the coast. And, you know, you look out from some of our beautiful southwest 
view sometimes and you see this gorgeous inviting coast that everyone dreams of you know on holidays down in Devon or Cornwall but you've also got that slightly greyer image of the same scene looking much murkier and more intimidating and that kind of was showing you those photos to demonstrate what I was talking about um, particularly in point one of my three kind of things I know to be true which is that I can look at the same situation or the same person or the same child on two days two separate days and they appear completely different one day they're a problem or there's something wrong with them or it needs fixing and the next day I can see it for what it really is and it's beautiful and it's fine and it doesn't need fixing and I think that's just a really nice metaphor for thinking about yourselves if you do work with children with the children you work with and in whatever line of work you're in with your colleagues sometimes when people appear kind of more like the, the above image kind of gray and murky and difficult uh, we can assume they're broken and there's something wrong with them and they need fixing where when we understand that it's just temporary it's just fleeting and you know they're, they're just wobbling um, I find you experience people very differently and they're not problems that need kind of solving they're just they're just someone having a bit of a wobble and, and I also love this image because I think you also said your third point that you know well-being is the core and the core you're okay is that if you if you think about metaphorically your well-being is like the sunshine and and in both of these images you know the sun is shining and if you were to say well in which image is the sun shining more brightly um you might say well obviously the bottom one because you know there's blue skies blue sea it looks lovely but actually the, the sun is shining at the same brightness in both, uh, on both of those days. And the only difference was that thought, feeling, or in this instance, the clouds were getting in front of the sunshine. And that's all that's happening with well-being, is that I used to think that well-being came and went. But actually it's not well-being that comes and goes, it's our thoughts and feelings that come and go, the well-being is always constant and so I do I really love I, I really love what you say. Yeah so it, it sort of nicely takes us on really to talk about the context that we're, we're in right now. Um, the idea behind uh, running this webinar um, was Liz and I talking with Russell about how can we be of service to key workers that are going through and will be going through some some real tough stuff and um, what is it we could do would what we've talked about with Russell might this be useful in education in the midst of this coronavirus which is impacting us all and uh, the, the resounding reply was you know crikey, yeah this is this is perfect because what we see when we this is my experience now is that when I watch the TV and I watch the news and I see what's happening in this country and I see what's happening elsewhere, I don't know about you, but um, I, I find I get, I, I get a bit triggered, I get a bit worked up and I, for, for a while I can lose sight of who I tru truly am and get lost in these thoughts and feelings about what should have been done, what needs to be done, blah, 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 blah. And I can go down a rabbit hole. 
and, and get stuck and lost in this rabbit hole until I actually catch myself on and, and um, realize that I'm just getting sucked into the, to, 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 to the stuff which is taking me away from my true self, my true nature, and getting lost in thoughts and feelings, a bit like the, the, the two images there. When I'm in my default, it's that sunny day, the, the sun shining, and when I get lost in my insecure thinking, sometimes crazy thinking, it's that day when the seas are rough, um, it's, it's very cloudy, uh, the sun isn't necessarily apparent. And of course, we're just using the, that as a bit of a metaphor to describe, to describe what, the way that I see is, is how we operate. And we operate, as Russell said, from the inside out. And what that means is that we're creating our experience 24-7 via thought. And that shows up as the way that we experience the world. And that's the same for you and me, all of us, all your colleagues, all those children, your parents, your communities. Wow, it's extraordinary that we managed to, 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 to weave our way through uh, in a socially responsible way these days. But it's amazing that we managed to navigate through, through this world without uh, uh, causing too much trouble and in some cases that's what happens we it results in conflicts when we lose sight of our true nature and get caught up in story panic you know we've seen particularly in the early days of, of, of uh, this crisis panic buying well for me it's really simple people have just lost sight of who they truly are and they believe the thinking to be true in the moment that, that they need to go and buy loads of shopping. If they really were in touch with their true nature, they would just, they would just know that that's not, not necessary. So, so, so some of the things that, that Russell spoke about there, about um, we're always okay, and um, a feature of, of coaching before I, I knew about this, was that fixing was very much on the agenda. Somebody would come with, with a, an issue, for example, um, somebody might be referred to me as, this person needs, needs to develop their confidence because they're, they're gonna be a leader one day and um, I'm a bit worried that they're, you know, they're, they're a bit weak, they're not actually showing that they've got this sort of confidence that we need for them to, to take up the next role. And that brief then would be for me to work with that person, to develop the confidence so that they feel robust, resilient, able to stand in front of groups of people, uh, able to hold their own in a management team meeting, and they demonstrate confidence. Tick job done. That's a simplification of, of maybe the way that things worked. What happens now is that we're, we're looking to point to the resilience and the well-being that we experience for, for ourselves in the person that we're talking to. 
and, and when I say the resilience and well-being, we're, we're pointing to stuff that, that the, the person may have overlooked, might not be seen for themselves, they might just, might just have forgotten about. And they're very often really very simple, simple things that, that we'll point to in people that they might not be seeing for themselves. But when they actually get to experience that, and, they, and I mean experience insightfully, they see that deeply inside themselves. Their experience is that, yes, they, they do have that resilience well-being. Then actually what that leads to is the ability to take the next step, whatever that may be. And I, I don't know about you, but if somebody sits down with me and says, you know, Stu, you ought to be doing this, this, and this. The hackles just go up and play. It's like, it's like the dog resisting, you know, going in the front door when, when he wants to go out. It, for me, it just doesn't work. We know that the, if you're involved in teaching, you know that the, the best learning comes when the children see something for themselves. It's the same for us as adults. So we're actually pointing to what's already there and then for the individual to work out the next step for themselves. Whatever that may be, in whatever context it arises, you can see the relief that just falls away from people when they get to see this for themselves. That, that's the complete joy. And it's, it's almost like rinse and repeat because this is... This is what we do now, is we're continually pointing people back to their true nature. And some of the things that Russell has spoken about, constantly it's about pointing him back to who he truly is um, and, and not the self, the insecure self that maybe he thinks he is or thought he was in certain times. I hope that makes sense. And that's the nature of the work that we do in um, we can spend much more time talking about that. Right, just to sort of, uh, just a sort of key, couple of key areas really, just to sort of, uh, I guess, highlight is that when we talk about peace of mind and, and, and well-being and resilience, it, we're saying that those are our default, that's inbuilt into our psychological system. And whilst traditionally um, and culturally we often try and chase those very things, we think we need to achieve something or get somewhere or do something and then we'll feel peace of mind and then we'll feel our well-being or then we'll be resilient. We're saying, well, no, it's actually the other way around. That, that is what we are. And the only thing that gets in the way of that is thoughts, feelings, and moods. And there's nothing wrong with thoughts, feelings, and moods. For human beings, we're designed to feel and think a whole spectrum of things, but there's nothing to worry about. And a lot of the stress that people experience is not that um, they're in a tricky circumstance or that they're, they're feeling a little bit wobbly. It's then the thinking that is layered up on that, the insecure thinking that gets layered up onto that original thought that causes the real distress. So that's one thing that um, is often overlooked. I think it's really worth emphasizing is that peace of mind is, 
what we are naturally in the absence of all that thinking. And when that thinking drops away, that's what rises up within us. That's what we experience. And when you really understand that well-being and resilience are your default, then it means that life isn't quite so frightening. Because you actually know that at every step of the way, something has got your back. Psychologically, you might not know the whole journey, but you will always know the next step. And that's really, really reassuring to know that that will be the case today, tomorrow, in a week, in a year's time. And the other thing, just to, um, to the final point really, is just to say that our moods, thoughts and feelings, they come and they go. They are a little bit like the weather. And a little bit like the weather, we, we, you know, we haven't really got much control over them. Not in my experience anyway. Um, they come and they go. And when we start to understand the nature of thoughts and feelings, it, they don't seem to hang around so much, which is a little bit that, like Russell was saying. He, he's learned not to, to really get stuck into his thoughts and feelings. He sort of understands that they come and they go. So that is, in essence, I think, a little bit of a summary of, of uh, what we've heard. And I guess it's back to Steve and uh, Russell. Thanks, Liz. And uh, I mean, where you kind of fit into this all, Steve, I suppose, is you've kind of, you've been my friend for a long time and you've um, kind of uh, heard through me and you did a podcast with me and Stu. Um, if people haven't heard, um, we've got a podcast called uh, Don't Shoot the Deputies. And we did an episode with Stu um, God, a year and a half or so ago now. So if you haven't ever listened to that, it might be quite a nice sort of follow-up at some point. But Steve, that was the first time you'd kind of really explored this kind of inside-out approach. And really, you've, you've had less interaction with these two than I have. But I'm curious about what your reflections are as someone that's kind of started to hear a bit about this stuff and talk to me about it. It really obviously resonates with me. And I've been through uh, my own journeys and insecurities over the last few years anyway. Um, talking to you, Russell, has always made it quite clear the impact it's had on you as a person but I think um, it's, it is acknowledging you can look at the world in a, a different angle looking at it from inside yourself to look out uh, it's a really powerful image and I know particularly when working with adults in our building we have a leadership structure where we are, we believe our well-being is paramount um, etc um, but when caring for the children as well, it's really important that we're looking through the eyes of the holder sometimes. And I think that's what we sometimes neglect to do. But I mean, I'm literally just scraping the top of the iceberg with what I know about the inside out approach and what we're talking about in general. But um, it's definitely a journey I'd like to go on. I can imagine the benefits and having talked to you over the last couple of years, Russell, there's a positivity that comes with this uh, approach. It's really empowering to look at what we could do and where we could go next, really. Yeah, I mean, picking up on that, it's an interesting reflection. And if you kind of see positivity, it's, it's not um, that I'm going out my way to try and be more positive or think more positive. And I still get lost in my own insecure thoughts and anxious thoughts. And like lots of, lots of the time, I suppose the, the difference for me now is just um, perhaps don't get into such a, a cycle of that as, as I used to and more inclined to realize that when I'm a bit insecure or I'm anxious that there's a temporariness to that and that that just affects so many situations and 
I think if you came to this webinar for kind of a list of three or four strategies for well-being that you could go away and implement in your school, I apologize because it's not, it isn't that. And this is about uh, coming at a different understanding of how well-being really works. And it's kind of like if you take a principle like gravity, okay, you know, and you, you, you went around and you told everyone about how balls fall from the sky, you're telling them the result of gravity where if you explain the principle of gravity, they'll see the kind of implications of that all around them. And that's the kind of same with this, really. I'm not going to give you lots of tools and techniques for how to make your well-being or the children you work with their well-being better. Really, what we're doing is exploring a principle of what well-being really is and how it works. What will naturally happen for you, I hope, after mm -hmm. this um, webinar and beyond is you'll go away and see the implications of what we're talking about in your own lives. And those implications will look different for you, Steve, than they do for me. And you'll spot those in different areas of your life. And that's been the game changer for me and how that links to my interactions with, with colleagues, really, where in the past, you know, I might have tried to solve people's problems for them. Rather, now I try and do kind of what Stu and Liz are talking about, of pointing people back in touch with their, their well-being and, and pointing them to the, the natural resilience I see in them. And they tend to find the correct kind of way forward for them um, in their lives. So that's the kind of game changer, really. We're not talking about a list of strategies you're going to go away and employ now. And that's quite frustrating as a teacher. Some of you might feel frustrated now. I did for the first time I spoke to Stu and Liz, actually, and they did some training with me. I, I wanted my list of things I could go do back in school and... I almost felt quite frustrated. They, they were slowing me down and making me think really differently about things. And if you're feeling that slight frustration, I can really relate. I felt the same. But it kind of began to dawn on me after two or three um, kind of training sessions and coaching conversations that actually they were just pointing me in touch with a principle that was a complete game changer for my life. And I have continued to see the implications of, of that kind of those principles about how we work and how well-being works for now four years. And still, every time I have a conversation or I do something like this, I see something anew that I haven't seen before. So um, it's okay if you're feeling a bit almost impatient with this tonight and frustrated and, and you wanted to have something to go away. But I just encourage you to kind of um, just let, let the dust settle on what you've kind of heard tonight and just reflect on it really and, and talk to somebody about it or talk to us some more about it at some point. It would be really good. I think Russell, that's that's my exact feeling. Actually, mm. you kind of need to digest what you've heard, uh, process it, and then you can see a way forward. Yeah, um, there's something that came up as you were talking uh, there, Russell and you, Steve, which is about this this idea of, of just seeing seeing beyond the story to the resilience of the, the individual that's in front of you. Now, what I mean by that is that um, often people will, will come to us with, let's call it a problem, um, some sort of something to sort out. And it's so easy to get sucked into the, to the issue and to then try and fix the issue. But what I've learned is that I'll, I'll never fix the issue. I'll never fix the story because, because it's, it's a story. And the, the, the person that is in front of me that I'm working with, they're, they're on unstable ground because they're, they've got this insecure thinking that's going on, that's having them not see something about themselves, which, which I can see, this idea of well-being and resilience. 
And my, my job is, as a coach is to help them onto solid ground. And when they're on solid ground, that's when they can start to see something that maybe they've missed and that I'm pointing to. And, and that's the resilience that, that's always present. And I remember talking to you, Russell, about um, the, the, the real change I think you described was when you're talking to some of the children that have got some real tough stuff going on in their lives, mm. the different type of relationship and conversations that you're having, I think that, that, that might be worth mentioning. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, uh, like a lot of kind of people in uh, leadership, I have a bit more capacity in my day. I don't have a full class responsibility. So I try to do a lot of pastoral work, do a lot of mentoring with a variety of children across the school, quite often with some very vulnerable children going through a lot of stuff and I think I've always kind of been a good person for them in terms of being there for them and caring about them and showing them love and warmth and understanding um, but the real game changer for me in terms of working with children after developing this understanding was not seeing them as these little beings that needed fixing um, and not seeing their problems as needing fixing which is an enormous burden we can often feel as as educators you know when we hear about the stuff they're going through it can feel quite overwhelming and, you know, I've had that with a particular lad in the last couple of years where he's been through a lot that obviously I won't go into. But I've in the past maybe wanted to kind of help them through understanding what they've been through. And that's not my job. Where now what I'm much more inclined to do is to say look, I can't do I can't do much about that stuff. What I can do is help you focus on what kind of person you want to be. And that's a much more kind of liberating message for young people is that they're not. They're not defined by the things they've gone through. And I think sometimes in education, our desire to want to help children so much and look for all the solutions, we can, we can almost reinforce the idea that they're, they're broken and they need fixing. And, and Liz and Stu actually ran a conference a, a year or two ago called Resilient Young Minds, and it was based on this premise. Their strapline was, nobody is broken. Um, and that was a challenge for me because you, you learn about trauma and ACEs and things, and you think, well, no, some people are broken. But I think in the work that I do with young people, um, not seeing them as, as kind of broken, yes, acknowledging some have been through some horrendously challenging circumstances, but actually at their core, there's something solid and tough and resilient and wonderful and beautiful in all of them has been a real game changer for me. So it's just shifted perhaps the language I use around helping children through some of those tough times and focus much more on the well-being I see in them, which is what Stu talks about when he coaches that sometimes when you see someone lost in their thoughts and all the madness they're going through you want to start unpicking that stuff for them and making it better that that's kind of innocently what we go to do where um, I'm a bit more inclined to look for those moments of real clarity and um, like natural wisdom which I think children just as much as adults they have that in bags and point them back in touch with that stuff it's a much more empowering message for young people as well I think than than trying to fix Six bits of them really that's great so how about we maybe take some questions i can see um from our chat that maggie earlier mentioned uh, said she looked up the definition of crisis and it, um, said that's a really interesting take uh, when you look at it with this understanding maggie if i unmute you did you want to say anything about that or why that that came to mind <laughs> well, yeah, it's just interesting because I know that sort of word is is being used an, an awful lot mm. at the moment, and I just thought I'd just have a quick quick Google and see what it yeah. says. A time of intense difficulty or danger, 
a time when a difficult or important decision can be made or the turning point of a disease for things that come through. It's quite interesting. I think things haven't changed on one level. Life is the same mm. as it ever was and the way the mind works is the same as it ever was. For me, it's actually quite a sort of special time um, where we have a, you know, quite a, I'm experiencing quite a gift of, of reflection and, uh, you know, less sort of, I'm actually probably having fewer sort of anxious thoughts, possibly because of restricted choices and a little bit less to think, well, what should I be doing now to make the best of my life? <laughs> it's quite interesting that in a sense, everybody is in the same understanding as they always were. Thanks, Maggie. I think that's a really, really good reflection. I was, uh, you made me think about, I was talking earlier about how I sometimes felt a bit frustrated or stressed when uh, when I heard Liz and Sue speak about this stuff and uh, there was a training session they did with my leadership team at my last school about three years ago on stress and uh, oh I was so peed off at the end of this session I was really quite annoyed because they had challenged this idea that my stress was caused by the circumstances around me because um, that's quite a comfortable kind of belief system to, to have it's quite it's quite reassuring to you know I feel rubbish it's that's fault because I got sent too many emails, because my head said this today, and so on. That's quite, a, there's a comfort in that. I can kind of project and blame other things. Um, and it was quite challenging for me to actually um, reflect. And at first, I didn't like the idea, because I thought that meant there was something wrong with me. I was doing something wrong. That's why I was feeling bad. But then it, uh, after that, what followed was kind of feeling really liberated, that actually I had a bit more of a choice than I thought I did about circumstances. And I'm seeing that a lot at the moment with what's being described as a crisis the situation is tough like of course it is and no one's um we're not coming on this webinar to say it's it's a lovely thing that's going on but your reflection there maggie just really illustrates what we talked about earlier about the inside out understanding and this kind of lens we all see things through because what you're still seeing is your own your own well-being and you're seeing a lot of um essentially sort of quite positive opportunities for yourself so it just it just goes to illustrate that we're not all experiencing that same uh, the same version of what's going on around us so sort of following on from what Stu said is there anybody that sat there sort of with a bit of a question or <laughs> a wave if you do I'd and like, I'll unmute you <laughs> I was thinking and whilst listening to all of this guys I was just thinking about has the impact of social media whilst we're looking at inside out has that affected how we're possibly feeling on the inside well what do you think Steve <laughs> <laughs> I think it's so controlling isn't it yeah and obviously, easiest thing would be not to look at it. But whilst there's so much fake news out there and everything, I think that all that impacts on how we're actually feeling on the inside. And we're kind of limited to agree. Um, and I can see that Facebook uh, and all social media has uh, that responsibility of really in implementing what we're actually thinking and what we're feeling. And I think we need to turn that around. A quick, a quick question there, Steve, because um, what I heard and what you were saying, and I might have misunderstood you, it, are you saying that false news and Facebook can make you feel a certain way? Possibly, possibly, yeah, if we, um, if we believe the hype. Yeah, well, and I think that's, that's a real conventional way of seeing it, and, and the invitation is to say, well, is that possible? Can anything outside of you make you feel? A certain way or can you only ever experience the activity of your own psychology and, mm. and we're not pointing to we're not saying that 
things don't happen outside of us and we're not saying that we don't feel upset and anxious and insecure. But it's a very different place to stand from when you see that actually we only ever see an ex psychological experience of the world that we generate. That's, that's all that's, that, that is all that is possible. Mm. And, and that then means that we have a different understanding of how we are actually interacting and experiencing the world. I can see Lisa's per really good point down here actually. Uh, social media can also be positive, i.e. the seminar, uh, webinar, and if you look hard enough, you can choose what to discard or where to focus, which is correct. Yeah, and maybe if I could just comment on that. Thank, thanks, Lisa, for, for uh, saying that. But, it, but in the same way, you know, we're not making a judgment on good and bad here. What we're saying is we want to take you further upstream so that you understand about what is creating the experience in, in, in the circumstances here. So we're talking about Facebook. It could be any external stimulus where we attribute that for the way that we feel. We're saying just question that. Just, just uh, you know, maybe after this call, just go and explore that for yourself. It, it, is that true? Might there be something that I haven't quite seen here that um, uh, Liz, Stu and Russell were talking about? So the invitation is just to go upstream and just sort of play around with that. Can it be that the weather makes me feel rubbish? Can it be that Donald Trump speaking to the American public winds me up? It looks and feels that way. It does. I, I, and when I forget who I truly am, I get, I get caught up in it. And it's the same as Facebook or Twitter or any other social media. So it's not about what's good and bad. And we're, we're inviting you to, to go beyond that. Look further, deeper. Is, it, is there something about the way maybe my, my thinking is creating this experience of annoyance and anger? I can see that Sandeep's got a question. Would you, would you like to unmute yourself? Okay, um, I agree with when we're looking at facts on social media that we have that critical eye. Um, only recently, I've just read, um, I've got it here actually, um, this book, Factfulness, um, and it's brilliant in terms of perhaps the world is much better than we think it actually is, um, the way things are reported and just having a different lens on things and the way data is reported in different ways, there's different viewpoints being presented um, and just seeing things in, in the greater whole. Um, but that was written before coronavirus. And I think one of the things with well-being is going to be for staff and children. Um, the, the normal life, there's a grief for obviously bereavement, but there's a grief for a loss of our way of life. Um, that sense of perhaps going back to normal, perhaps, you know, there's a lot of sayings of was normal what created this, but people are going to feel vulnerable and unsure of what the world looks like going forward. And, you know, lots of us work in education and actually what is the world going forwards for the children going to be is it going to be different so i think there's a, a kind of like vulnerability in terms of well-being about the future and mm. for children as well as um, staff as well and our way that we manage that as a team together mm. is 
going to influence across the communities. So I think it's really important that we have this space to talk like this with our staff. Mm. It's really insightful to be considering that. I think there's bound to be a, a concern amongst us all about well-being moving forward from this. Like you say, I like the way you describe almost like a grieving for not just the obviously the sad deaths that have, have occurred, but the, the kind of the loss of education, the loss of time together, the loss of normality. And, you know, I find myself um, thinking about that quite a bit. Here's all I do know, because I don't know the answers to how it's all going to look in a few months' time. And I, every time I find myself speculating about it, I sort of draw myself back in because I find myself wasting time and energy, really. But what I do know is that I come to good solutions to things. One, when I talk to people like this. Yeah. And, and, and two, when I get into a settled space in my thinking. And um, one of the things I've always loved about speaking to, to Liz and Stu, and I talked about that frustration earlier. One thing they do is they put the brakes right on. Every training session you do with them, the brakes go right on. And it's really hard for teachers because we go to um, training sessions and conferences, like a moderation or something. It's like boom, 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 boom through you know as fast as we can we've all got books to mark books again they slow me right right down but what i see every time they do that to me once i get past the first five minutes of frustration and slowing down is my thinking settles and we often use a snow globe analogy it's like you stop shaking it up and everything just goes like this and you can see things for what they really are and i feel like this is going to be one of these situations more than ever where if educators like yourself and the rest of us get together and we slow down and we let our thinking settle we'll find those solutions but we need to do for our children moving forward and for our teachers and for our communities um, I think the danger is that you know schools always want to be one step ahead and I'm part of that system and we want to we want to plan and we want an action plan I'm terrified that people are going to try and have these mad curriculum plans and well-being plans and things in place for like possibly June or possibly July or possibly September. And it's just going to add to that kind of frenetic worked up um, thinking that you're talking about, Sandy. So, I mean, that's just my part of my reflection is that we all need to really almost do what's counterintuitive at this time and really slow down and do what Maggie was talking about earlier is actually use this as a space for reflection about what really matters. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think these kind of think spaces, these sharing ideas, and I think diverse kind of ideas and thinking is what is really going to help. Thank you. And, and I just want to add as well, Sandy, that one of the things I, um, from, I'm a serial or was a serial organiser and planner. That was my, that was my addictive, habitual behaviour. Um, and actually, the thing that, adds, that trumps all of that is that wisdom in the moment always outtrumps it. And what I do know for sure is that none of us, none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow, let alone next week or in the next month or in the next year we, i mean back in january we all thought we'd know kind of roughly what would be happening in april this year but how wrong all of us were um so we don't know what's going to happen in the future but what i do know is that whatever happens and whatever we're up against we will know how to take the next step and that's all we need to know thank you is it okay if i just um i know we're coming right to the end now of the the webinar but I just for some people that may be uh, interested in, in what we're um, talking about I just wanted to, to make mention of a follow-up really for those that are interested Stu and I 
we see people in educators as key workers and at, at the moment we are really keen as much as possible to support in whatever way we can our key workers and we just see that if there is um, interest with educators to, along with um, Russell and Steve would really be up for supporting people with a four-week program just looking at how to listen for well-being both within ourselves and in others and and this would be a a free um, program for educators that want to take part in it um, over the period uh, that we're currently in as we uh, go through the coronavirus. So I just wanted to uh, make mention of that. No, no real plans as yet, Russell, is there about how or when this might be. We just thought if there is interest and, and people did want to um, explore this in, in a, a slightly longer journey, uh, then we'd be really up for um, going on that journey with them. Yeah, it really is just about a, a completely free kind of supportive um, network. Kind of Sandy really got me thinking with her comments then about just a group of, of people coming together and having this headspace, I suppose, to, to reflect and to uh, consider well-being in these times for us as educators is going to be kind of massive, really. OK, so that's um, that's about that. That's nine o'clock. And it's been a, a lovely opportunity for us to, to meet meet you all tonight in this uh, setting, um, in this introduction about uh, resilience and well-being, particularly in the current context. Mm. So there's, there's the offering. If, if you're in education and you'd like to learn much more about this, then we'd ask you that uh, you let us know. Um, you contact Russell, Steve, or uh, Liz and myself, um, and then we work on when that might start. We would anticipate, Russell, probably what, before the end of April or uh, early into oh, yeah, May. For sure, yeah, absolutely. Okay, there's already some, uh, some people that are saying that they're interested in this, which is, which is great news. So back to you, Steve, and you, Russell, really, just to draw things to a close. Well, I just want to thank you all for taking a punt on us and spending an hour of your time with us. I'm sure you're desperate for a wee like I am. And uh, <laughs> it's, been, it's been a real privilege to meet a bunch of people from all over the place who are just obviously something's drawing you here. You're curious about this stuff. And I'd love it if you could, um, you know, you don't have to do it straight away, but just spend a bit of time reflecting on some of the things you've heard about and get in touch, send us a message or... Mm. or whatever it would be lovely to hear what your reflections are and uh you know like student said if you're quite keen to be part of something a little bit ongoing for maybe a few sessions then then please do get in touch it's been a real privilege having your company tonight mm. i can only echo that russell and obviously thanks to Stu and liz to be honest i i hear a lot from russell but it's always good good to get it from the from the source as such and, and the horse is a really powerful conversation actually and it's really got us thinking hope to see some of you again in the future you know, thank, thank you for the great work that you're doing. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Don't keep the deputy.